Welcome to another episode of the ERG Movement Podcast. On this podcast, we have some really dope people who've done dope things in the ERG space, and today is not an exception to that. Chris, I want to have you introduce yourself. would love for you to give an intro, who you are, and just some of your background as it relates to the ERG space, or even just in general. Yeah, so I'm Kristen Bell, go by Chris KB, Kristen. I've been in the HR space now for about 10 years. My last five years have been focused on DEI work, really around transforming workplace systems and cultures. I've worked across education, financial services, healthcare, technology organizations. Some of those have been global. And I've held previous role responsibilities around starting a DEI function, employee relations, policy and process improvement, people operations, training and development, recruitment, managing employee resource groups, and serving as a consultant and business partner to HR teams and different senior leaders. So lots of things there. Most recently, I've been responsible for developing our internal DEI strategy at Lattice around improving operational rigor practices for our people team, launching our DEIB exec council and uh, relaunching our ERG program under a new framework and model. So that's been really fun. So you all can see already based on that intro, why we had to have Chris on the podcast. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think I'd love to start off with how did you first get introduced into ERGs and what that journey was like? Mm -hmm. So when I was working in the financial services industry, the company was putting together something like like a culture committee almost. So not really an ERG, but they really wanted to get folks from different backgrounds to kind of come together to really share their experiences and do some company programming. But my first true introduction to ERGs was at my time at Ultimate Software, which is now UKG. And they had so many different groups that you could join. They were called belong groups. And there were maybe about two or three, there were probably solid ERGs, like a women's group, a veterans group, a cares group for like cancer and things like that, and pride. And I noticed like, wow, we have all these groups and none of these are race related. Why is that? And I asked that question and the company just wasn't sure about how to navigate that territory and, and having race related groups. And so myself, along with probably about seven other people, we got together and was like, we need a group that really caters to the Black experience at Ultimate Software. And so we started that process in early February of 2020. And we met, we said, okay, let's try to really make this meaningful and impactful and think about what do we want this achieve, want, want this to achieve. And so it started off being a, a group that was really anchored to increasing leadership and representation of Black people in the organization. The company itself was very organically diverse, meaning that we were based in South Florida. So you had folks who, who had like a Latinx background, some Black folks from like the Caribbean. And so we really wanted to have a group that was just dedicated for Black leadership development because we did not see that at the organization. So anyhow, we had some initial pushback from leadership and there was a desire to have a multicultural ERG mm. where it includes folks from all different races. And we said, no, we really need this because the Black experience is so nuanced and different variations of that. And so we worked together 
um, and laid the foundation, which is now really a blueprint for all of the other race-related ERGs that are there at the organization. So that was my first introduction into ERGs, really fun, had a, a chance to serve as the co-chair and then the co-lead for our learning and development work stream. Okay. Lots of questions there. I mean, you mentioned that there was pushback with like a people of color ERG versus like a black ERG. How do you tell an executive? No, I think a lot of like ERG leaders, they kind of struggle with like explaining that to an executive. So how did you all approach that? Mm -hmm. And and I'm a little bit different. So I identify as somebody that, that is a disruptor. And so I have no problem saying the word no. And here is why, or no, because, or no, and. And so a part of that was just explaining that there are different types of Black people, right? And so it was we couldn't call it an African-American ERG because not every person that's Black identifies as African-American. And just the, the African diaspora in itself, there's different cultural nuances that we as Black people still need to learn about from each other. And so it just wouldn't serve the purpose. It would become diluted. And being able to really call out those things is important. One thing that we did not do that I wish we had done was being able to have access to data to leverage to say, hey, here's the experience that Black employees are having. And if you can't tell that there's a differentiated experience happening across the employee journey, then that's an indication that something unique needs to be done for that specific group. And it's really hard to accomplish that if you just lump everyone in all together. I think also we wanted people of other backgrounds of Asian and Latinx descent to have a voice in what they wanted for their particular communities. And so it's hard to really lump them all together. And I think it was just having saying, hey, this isn't going to work for us. And them listening and say, you know what? This is your choice. You let us know how to best navigate this. And they listened and they leaned in. I love that. So it's really getting past the initial fear and how you approach that conversation in general. I love even the idea of being a disruptor because it's needed, especially in these spaces. Now, you were going to form the ERG initially started in February 2020. When did the ERG actually launch? Yeah, we launched in October of 2020. And the reason that we chose to be very intentional about launching in October is one, that's when we had the announcement of the company merger in itself and, and it coming together as UKG. But we also wanted time to really build something that was going to be meaningful. And so I mentioned that we had these work streams that were set up, but they were work streams for learning and development. We had membership engagement and recruitment. We had a finance team. We had a marketing and communications team, L&D. And the purpose of having those was to be able to get people in from all backgrounds that wanted to help us to build a structure and to build resources before that official launch. We wanted employees to be able to come in with already having resources and engagement opportunities to really stay involved in the group versus people coming in, not really exactly knowing what to do. So I feel like us introducing the work streams was more of a, a soft launch slash call to action. And then the launch when we launched in October, it was, you could actually see events happening. You could actually see development workshops happening, webinars happening. And so we chose to launch in that time period just for that reason. Mm. How was that process of getting people into those roles? Like, how did you go about recruiting other ERG leaders? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the things, and I could just speak directly to L&D, which was also a representation of all the other groups. One thing that we said is that if we're going to be a group that's focused around increasing representation for Black uh, folks in leadership, is that we also need to create those opportunities for leadership roles inside of this group. And so we didn't just have our core ERG leadership team that made level that made decisions at the at the high level for the group, but we set up different teams inside of the work stream. So for LD, for example, we had a programs team, we had a resources team, and then we had like a like a continuous learning team. So program was like our mentoring program resources. We had an actual directory of resources, both internal and external for, for folks to access. And then our learning team or that curriculum team, they were thinking about different content that people could learn about. How do we, they were setting up a podcast for folks to, to learn. So different avenues of learning for the group, setting up different hackathons to get folks involved and to build their skills. And so um, each of those teams, those three teams also had two co-leads. So anyone who wanted to be in a leadership role, you had a chance to come in and build that muscle of being a leader. I want to say the teams, each team had a little bit more than eight people on each team. So you got two co-leads, team of eight folks there. Needing to build that experience. Myself and the other co-lead for our L&D work stream we had like an interview process. We, we, we set up a structured interview process. You had to go express interest. We set up time to talk through it with you. We had a rating system that we set up. And it was almost a little bit unfair just because of my background in TA. And so I had a really good idea of how to structure what this interview should look like and how do we create a process that allows us that we can actually like fairly evaluate people on as they're sharing their experience with us and not just their experience, but their desire um, to move into leadership at some point in their career. Mm, okay. So what are some tips for people then who are looking to set up an interview process that you would give with your TA background that they should consider? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say one, have a conversation with your current TA team, understand more if they're willing to share about how does interviewing work externally and internally, see what type of practices or tools that they're using to evaluate candidates, but then to also do your own research, right? So go out there to see what other companies are doing, what are some typical best practices. I think the last thing I will say is to maybe think about the type of interview experience that you would have loved to have or that you would like to have if you're interviewing with an organization, right? What type of experience are you expecting in that? Because it's not just getting someone in the door and say, hey, great, let me ask you these couple of questions. How do you want them to feel about the opportunity and about the group after they leave that conversation? Mm, I love that. Is there a question that you feel like really, like that you asked the different candidates that you felt really, I don't know, helped to make a, a good decision there, like one or two questions that really stood out in that interview process? Mm, it's been a while, so I can't really even recall what those questions are. But I think in general, questions that I, I like to hear from people, especially around the DEI space, is, you know, tell me about what's important to you or where you are on your DEI journey. What's one thing that you're hoping to gain from an experience? And I think that question or asking people questions around DEI and their journey and their experience is really important because one, you want someone to be just as dedicated to the mission and the goal of the group and the company as you are, right? And so there's a there's a, a values piece that needs to be there. 
Um, but also you want to understand where people are starting at so that if this person does come on board, that you're able to really accommodate and meet them where they are to meet the moment. Mm, love that. Okay. Another thing that you mentioned, so starting to think about the ERG in February, launching in October, in the middle there, somewhere in the middle was the Black Lives Matter movement. I would imagine yeah. there might've been pressure to almost like expedite that process. Did you all experience anything like that? Or how did that impact your ERG launch in general? Mm-hmm. No, that's a really good question. I think that there was a desire from our senior leadership team to expedite and almost showboat that this group was on the way. But we, we said, no, we said, we're not ready. We're going to do things decently and in order. However, what we did do, we, we allowed the leadership team to lean in for support. They needed us to review a communication. It would be the larger the, the, the larger ERG leadership team that did that. We can review that information. We can share feedback around what holidays we thought were going to be appropriate going forward for the organization. But also it struck up this interest from other folks in the company, like, what can we actually do? I'm like, great. Well, here's a good time to be hands-on and help us to build the infrastructure of what's to come for this group. So we had a lot of people who wanted to step into this space of becoming an ally and to learn and to learning and just building on their personal journey. And so we had a lot more help. We saw growth in our work streams and that really helped us to be ready for when we launched in October. I love that. And the art of the pre-launch, I feel like is not something to be missed here too. Like there's work mm-hmm. in launching an ERG besides just saying we're going to start it and, and taking it to members. What are some of those steps? You mentioned a little bit with like getting leaders in place, but what are some other steps that were involved between that seven, is it seven or eight month process? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can, very similar approach that we had for UKGs, the same thing I had our, our new ERGs at Lattice do as well. And it was to really create the foundation of the ERG. What is the mission, right? Like what's the long-term goal um, that you're wanting to create impact around within this group? It's understanding, you know, what is what is your business case? And not that DEI and ERGs need a, a business case per se, but it really does come in handy when you're trying to advocate for the group to have certain types of resources, or if there's ever a moment in time down the line where it's called into question of, do we actually need this group? The answer will lie there in the business case about the value that the group brings to the organization. You also need to create what is going to be your new member welcome experience, right? So very similar to when you join an organization, when you join this group, What's going to be people's experience? What's going to keep them engaged and coming back? You also want to set up, you know, how are they going to actually become a member, right? What is a member? What's defined in that? What's the responsibility there? You also think about creating what's your membership value proposition, right? What's in it for the people that actually take the time out of their day to join this group or to come to an event? It's also training people in their designated roles and responsibilities, right? What does it mean to be an ERG leader? Part of that is calendar planning, right? So being able to plan in advance the things that you're going to do so that you can properly execute on something and and make the most impact and get the most engagement that you can. Trying to think what else is it's thinking through your exec sponsor, right? Because as you're in the process of creating an ERG, you want to think about in what spaces and what particular leader can help your group get the visibility that it needs 
but also how are they going to be a resource in being able to advocate for the group going forward and the group needs. So just quite a few different things that the group usually needs to go through is really thinking through being methodical, being intentional about what is it going to accomplish, how, right? So the that pre-stage, long story short, is the mechanics that are going to allow the group to operate sufficiently. I am 1000% with everything that you just mentioned, which is why it's so sad that a lot of companies do just skip zero to 100, all of those things. And then afterward, they're, they're building the plane while flying it. So they're going back and trying to incorporate those things, which is so much harder. Another thing that we've talked about in the past is even operating ERGs in excellence and really how that is mirrored in best business practices. We'll love your take on how ERGs can operate like a business and what that means. Mm-hmm. When I think about setting a group up as a business, what that looks like is having designated roles designated responsibilities for those folks in positions with expectations, right? So being able to have some level of accountability that's there. And I'll just kind of share with you, for instance, what the ERG leadership structure is like at Lattice. Our groups have two co-chairs. There's a membership engagement and recruitment chair. We have an event chair, a finance chair, a marketing and communications chair, and then a learning and development chair. That's our base model. Why is it our base model? Because those essentially are the foundational things that a group or a business essentially could need to be able to function and to operate. Now, there's like an extended version of what that model looks like. And so it's a model that's been created to meet the moment as we're a smaller company now, but that could also be expanded when it's time to scale and we grow and we get past that 1000 employee mark. And so that extended model could have something like a culture and a social committee or an internal policy and benefits person, right? A social action chair for really getting involved, the community, community and volunteering impact chair, even business operations committee. So different, different roles for different things. And I think that's really important to call out because when you just have a group of folks that come together and their title is lead. There's, it's really hard to differentiate who is having what impact, who's taking on what responsibility. It increases the chances for miscommunication and it can just be confusing, right? And so people need lanes to swim in to be successful and so that the group can work together. You got to be able to leverage everyone's strengths to make that the impact that you're looking to make. I love that setting up your ERG structure in a way so that it's easy to scale in the future. So you mentioned your leadership structure and like a high level, what those roles are. Can you give like a description of each role and how it kind of works towards pushing the ERG forward? Mm-hmm. So the co-chairs, I would consider like the, the CEO and the COO of the group, right? They're setting that strategic guidance and focus for the groups themselves. They are supporting each of the other members on the leadership team. For our ERGs, our co-chairs are not only leaning in for support in different areas, but they're also speaking up. They're having those direct conversations with the executive sponsor. They have also been charged with tracking performance of the overall group. 
All right, so they should be able to look back over a quarter or a period of time and say, hey, our group made this particular impact. We performed this way against our 4C model. And you know, here is how we're looking to move forward in the next quarter or the next half. All right, so they're that, that leader, the guidance that help to, to navigate where the team is going. For that membership engagement and recruitment chair, it's exactly what it sounds like. That group is managing the welcome experience for new members. They're conducting any kind of additional outreach to get folks engaged. They're creating different ways to keep people talking in that inside of the group and, and thinking about different ways to reach people and understanding what they may want to see from an events perspective for the future. The event chair you would think is the person that is creating all of the events. No, that person really is taking care of the logistics for the event planning process. And so making sure that, you know, is there a marketing and communications plan in place? Did, if you're having a venue, an event at a, at a place, did you secure the venue? If you have to use budget dollars, right? Did you go through the process to request the budget in a timely fashion? What's the actual plan? Do you have the manpower that you need to carry out whatever the event is? So they are helping the group to stay on track when it comes to the event for seamless execution. That finance chair, they're managing the ERG's budget. They're saying, hey, this is how much we have to spend here. They're making sure that any kind of receipts are kept. They're filing the expense report. They're sending in the invoice to the accounts payable team. They're also monitoring monthly the spend over time for the group and giving what that report is. They're researching different ways to save money, right? So if they say, hey, we're going to have, we're going to purchase a book from somewhere. Great. Let's look at three different potential vendors and let's get the best price so that we can maximize this budget for, for our group. Um, for our marketing and our communications chair, this could be various things. They could be having a newsletter that they're managing where they have folks contributing and they're compiling that, sending it out together. But it's also dealing with branding, right? How is the brand story and reputation of the group being shared? How are they crafting that message? And then also, if there are events that are happening that we know that we're planning for, what's the strategy and what channels are we delivering that and to what particular audience and at what time are we giving that information out and, and, and how are we sharing it out? And so they play a really, a really big role. I think one, a little bit of bias here for me, the L&D position, learning and development is one of the best positions to be in. And it's simply because they can get super creative and get in tune with the needs of the folks within that group. While they are not designing or they're not creating the actual learning content, they're putting together what a curriculum could look like, right? So if people want to learn about leadership, if they want to learn about interview practices, then they're organizing what the topics are and they're finding people to help fill that need. And I think what's really cool is that they also get a chance to get to know members on a deeper and a personal level because you have people in your groups that can do some of those things for you, right? And you're also giving the people in your group a chance to shine as well. And so they're structuring all those things together and then they're collecting the feedback, right? Was this a good session? What did you learn, right? Is there a pre and a post survey? And so that is the purpose of that to make sure that people's needs are getting met from a learning and development perspective. The lots of things there, tons of responsibilities from an extended leadership team. I won't go into detail there, but each role plays a really important part. And 
it's important again that these roles exist or some type of roles exist so that people's bandwidth is not being exhausted. Before coming to Lattice, I think each group only had two leaders doing all of those things. That is a lot of work to ask two people to do for an entire group supporting the entire organization. It's almost unfair, if I'm being honest. And so they play unique roles together. They communicate. They're having to collaborate. They're having to be think futuristic and really think about how does one move impact the other group to get the best outcome. Now, when you came to Lattice, there, you implemented this leadership structure. Was there pushback from the ERG leaders with this new structure? And if so, how did you handle that? There was a lot of questions as to be expected. But upon starting at Lattice, one of the first things I did was a listening tour, not with just the entire company, but it's with the leaders. And I was like, you know, what, you know, what are the challenges? What things do you feel like are going well? And the common resounding theme from every single group was that we need structure, right? Great. What does that mean? We need a process. We need to understand how to navigate this particular space. We need to understand how do we get access to the funding or what's the best way to post an event. And so having the, having the desire for people to want more for themselves and to having structure made it a lot easier for it to be received well. That's not to say that it did not go without some questioning or some hesitation because it's new. It's new. You think about what's also happening in the macro environment and the organizational culture itself. And so there's a bit of change management that also has to, to come into play there. That is so big. And I I have a strong feeling that if most people were to host that same listening tour, they would find the same gaps exist. So having that listening tour, it, it I had an impact in how in the implementation side of it, like it was then easier to implement. Mm-hmm. I would say so. And again, I think people like the idea of having their problems solved. And so if you can implement something that addresses the direct needs of what they have shared with you directly, that makes it a lot easier to see that transition to take place. But I think also to know that it did not happen overnight. It wasn't great. Boom. Now these are your roles. No, <laughs> we had an entire process that we went through that found people to fill these positions um, through an election cycle. And then we gave time, we had learning sessions to introduce people to what it means to now be in these roles. And then after that, great, now you have additional resources to support you in that journey and to also give space for people to learn, right? This is, we're not doing brain surgery here. Things are going to happen. And so if you have resources, if you've had some type of training, if you're clear on what the expectations are up front, then you have a choice about, is this for me? And I'm very clear and very candid around people taking time to assess and to make the best decision for themselves because- after you said, yes, you know what, this sounds like what I want to do going forward, then you're held accountable to that. And so if it doesn't serve you, I'm going to always say, if it does not serve you, then you may need to reevaluate. Some people, they structure theirs around the four C's. It's very popular within the ERG space. How do you all incorporate the four C's into your programming, if at all? 
Yeah, absolutely. We definitely use that it is the, the base model and framework for how we think about events and how we think about impact within the program. And so that is a programmatic structure for us. And all of our ERGs fall under that programmatic structure. For the folks who that, that may not know what the 4C model is, it was introduced back in 2006 by Dr. David Rodriguez. And it's career, culture, commerce, um, and community. And so any of the events that most ERGs do will naturally fall into one of those categories, right? Even a happy hour, as an example, that will fall into culture, right? It's, built, it's building that engagement, it's getting people together. If you're sending out an awareness campaign um, that falls into culture, cultural awareness. And so lots of opportunity there. What we have done is that because we know that the 4C model is where one of our events will fall into, we have a designated metric that's tied to each of those pillars. So for our culture, our culture pillar or that 4C there, the metric that's assigned to culture is the number of members that engaged, right? So we want to know what percentage of your members actually showed up for events. If you have an event that is company-wide and 60 people come to that event. Only 50 of the folks that showed up are members, right? You have, you're able to identify what percentage of folks are actually members based on the attendee list and com in comparison to your membership directory, which is a part of your sign-up form that you should have for your group. And then you can also identify who is not in that, in that membership base that you can reach out to them or redirect them to your membership and engagement and recruitment chair. For our commerce pillar, very new for us, we made it very simple. We said, hey, how many times did you collaborate with the business department on any particular initiative, right? So being able to get the visibility spread across the organization. For that career pillar, we want to know how many development workshops did you host? Just what's the number? And then for community, what's the average number of volunteer hours per member, right? So if you, only, if you have a, 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 a membership base that's 100 people, and maybe only 10 people volunteered, but they did, you know, two hours, that, that 20 hour total is going to be spread across all 100 of your members. Because what you want to understand is who's engaging, how much are folks engaged, so that you can set some realistic goals, establish some baseline points, and push for an increase in engagement. And so those four C pillars help us to have accountability in how we evaluate our progress as a group. And I'll take it a step further. We're piloting the 4C this year, but the long-term goal here is to be able to set up a matrix that, that allows us to allocate funding to each of our groups based on the level of impact that they're having with consideration to the size of that particular ERG. And so you could be uh, the smallest ERG with less than 75 members and be performing at an advanced stage or, or tier three stage and get more funding than the largest group that's only performing as a tier one or a tier two. So that's still very much so possible. What is like a really good opportunity for ERGs to partner within a company? Let's just say like, let's do one as like an easy first step, like an, you know, initial partnership, but what's one also too, that's like a dream big ERGs can be doing this in the future. Mm -hmm. I think one that's like a first step, pretty simple, but it, and also attainable and realistic is to have some type of partnership with talent acquisition, a talent ambassador program. I've created these a couple of times now at a few past companies 
But essentially, this is a partnership that it's not just about referrals, but it really allows people to get involved in the hiring process as a values interviewer or um, a champion that's a part of the hiring process, right? As a, as a talent ambassador, you're going out to any type of events on behalf of the organization. You're embedding yourself into certain companies. You're also sharing with the TA team, the different groups that you're involved in outside of work. Um, to help us to find more talent, right? And so we want to be able to increase representation, but I think also knowing that people who come into the organization have this place to call home, so to speak, within our ERGs is a great way to add impact to the business, but to also add additional skills and benefits to the folks that are participating in that program. And what about one big one? Mm-hmm. I think one thing that we don't really think about is how ERGs can have make an impact with customers, right? And so many times ERGs are just about what, you know, what can we do for the employees internally, but also then how can you cater to customers? There are so many businesses that are looking to learn what are things that they can do to evolve their ERG program. You can do fireside chats. I mean, shameless plug here, you're doing a fireside chat for us, right? And so it it creates an opportunity to have that visibility and to have those conversations with customers. I did a fireside chat maybe about a month ago with one of our customers and just being able to help their programs grow and develop helps to increase customer retention. So big ways to add big value to the business as well. So true. I've seen companies do this at a smaller scale, but I can only imagine in the future. I know at DoorDash, they would host sessions for dashers or even for restaurants from like black owned businesses and teach them things. I can't even imagine if more companies did that for these communities that were supporting internally, externally too. That definitely excites Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. Or even like hackathons, right? Like I think I mentioned that at UKG, we had this, this black ERG we have the thoughts around how do we create like our own tech hackathon so that people can get the skills that they need, they can exercise those skills. But that also helps the community at large. It helps the business itself. And so it's impact beyond just the ERG. Mm, Love it. Okay. Here's a question too, because you've led ERG programs. You've been an ERG leader yourself even too. What would you say is something, or maybe there's more than one thing that's kind of in the ERG space right now that a lot of ERGs are doing that maybe kind of outdated or time to move on from. The ERG movement Mm -hmm. is all about forward progress of ERGs. So sometimes we can be stuck in some practices that aren't necessarily relevant anymore. But yeah, your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I mean, to keep it very plain, I want to say one thing that groups some groups are still doing is not planning in advance. And I don't say that lightly because there are going to be things that come up like ad hoc events or like meeting the moment, a good, perfect time that wasn't planned for sure. But I think not being intentional about planning for the success of the group is a huge miss. Mm-hmm. And you miss the opportunity to be as impactful as you could be to reach as many folks as you could and to get the visibility and the support from executive leadership that you could get by being intentional. What are some examples of some programming that you've seen that that really hit that intentionality mark? Mm-hmm. 
I think one, one thing I've seen that has hit the intentionality mark is a group that we have at Lattice. They have planned well in advance, six months in advance to host a spring conference. And not just a conference that just brought folks together, but it was a conference that really focused on the skills to help their members to get to the next level, to do well with their performance reviews. And they took the time to plan it. They found speakers. They, they leaned in for additional resources. They created the agenda. They did marketing. They created a marketing and comms plan in advance as to say, you know, how are we going to actually share this information to get engagement? They planned on how they were going to measure the impact of the event, right? They had a, a pre-survey and a post-survey to really evaluate was the information shared useful to, to get clear feedback. And so you know, again, a little bit of planning can go a long way. So true. Now you've also, you mentioned that you've led ERG programs that are global. What are some tips on how to unite like an ERG's mission across different regions who might have different cultural beliefs and things like that? Mm -hmm. I think it's important to realize that your ERG program is an, an extension or a support mechanism for your overall DI strategy or your overall people strategy. And so it's not this standalone thing that just pops up. It's linked to something bigger. And so you think about what are the goals that are set at the company level or at that team level? And then it's also important to communicate uh, and anchor that mission and that goal and communicate that to the ERG leaders so that they can understand how does their ERG play a role in this on, on a larger scale? feel like I'm missing part of that question. Ask me that one more time. I don't remember the exact question, oh. but <laughs> I, you answered it. The follow-up question I would add is a lot of ERG program managers and leaders, they get the feedback that their programming is too U.S. centric. Mm. What are some kind of tips to tailor it so that maybe it's, you know, it's more engaging for audiences outside of the U.S.? Mm -hmm. I think this also depends on how you have your ERG structured. So if you're a global organization, I think one, you have to, to determine, are you going to have regional ERGs, right? Are you going to have those that are U.S. or North America, North America centric? Are you going to have those that are EMEA centric and then APAC and so on and so forth? And if not, uh, something to consider is how does localization tie into your program strategy? And so with localization, that means really understanding the nuances and the cultural differences of the regions that you're in. You got to think about what are the cultural dynamics associated with the regions in which you operate. So that is really important. And so it won't be a one size fits all. It won't be a pick one up and drop it off. You have to understand the, the cultural nuances of the regions that you're operating in and then create something that's going to be beneficial there. I think sometimes we can get into this space of seeing a model and trying to apply it to everything. But when it comes to global DEI, you have to, it has to have a nuanced approach. It is not one size fits all. What are some examples of programming or events that you've seen that have landed well in regions outside of the U.S.? Mm -hmm. I think the easiest one to really gravitate towards is the women's ERG. And that's because from an employment law standpoint in different, 
different countries. Gender may be like the one thing that you can actually measure across the board or that you're allowed to collect information about. Like we, for example, we have an office that's in London where, you know, we're not, uh, we're not allowed to require information around race or disability be shared. And it really is a self-voluntary, self-disclosure that has to take place. And that language has to be very specific when you're, when you're asking for anything. And so for the women's ERG, um, if we have a chapter that is in London or a group of folks that are in London, it's easy to have someone that's like the point of contact there that can kind of weigh in and share some insights around what that group wants to see. If there is enough presence, then having a chapter there makes sense, right? I think also when we think about chapters and extensions, it's easy to get caught up in that, oh, well, we, we have the presence here, we need a chapter here. The, the chapter also has to have a chance at being successful. And so it may not, the timing, the timing matters as well on if and when you should localize. What's a good indicator of like, I think that this community is ready to be an official chapter, to break mm-hmm. up? The interest, right? The interest and the engagement and the participation has to be there. And so one thing I've done before is I've leaned in for like a listening tour, right? To see what folks would want to see. Hey, if we had an ERG here, would you participate, right? Mm-hmm. People will say a yes or a no. And that's a clear indication of, of if it's worth the time to establish something or if it doesn't make sense yet. With ERGs in general, you mentioned like member engagement leads, also finance leads. Budget is something that comes up a lot in the ERG cities. Mm. What are some thoughts on how ERG leaders can best utilize their budget? Mm-hmm. Best utilizing their budget. I think this really goes back to understanding what it is that you're going to do, right? Planning in advance. I think sometimes what I've seen before and what I know to be true is that we love to have food at events. Doesn't matter what the event is, we love to have food there. And so depending on your company's work model, if you're in person, hybrid or remote, sometimes if you're in office or you have the option to go in office, sometimes there are already snacks there, right? And so if your company already provides you with food resources and snacks, then have a conversation with the workplace experience coordinator there and say, hey, we're planning to have this amount of people on site for this particular event. We would love for you to be able, we would love to be able to access different treats, different goodies and things of that sort so that you can save your budget in that regards. Also, if you have people who are working remotely, chances are the company already provides you or provides employees with a stipend for at-home workplace food and amenities. And so you don't have to go out of your way to have a gift card that's sent to someone for food because now you're thinking about tax implications and tax and how that that additional amount can affect someone financially, right? Mm -hmm. And so different ways. I think also one of the responsibilities of the finance chair that we have in that committee is to research multiple options. Sometimes we have this idea made up in our head around what's going to be the best thing. We know what we want, but it could not be the most cost efficient. And so you want to make sure that you have enough budget that's going to last you across the year. If you spend 80% of your budget up front for one event, you may have to then go back and adjust the rest of your calendar. And so I think just being diligent about the research actually planning in advance how much you're going to spend on a particular event, what's the process for spending it, and what are the implications. It's really important to think through in advance. 
what are some ways to not use budget or at least <laughs> to, to keep in mind when it comes to using budget? Be mindful just about, again, the, the giving away, right? Is it absolutely necessary that you give it away? We love to have a good raffle, a good drawing, a giving away of gift cards if you did something. And that's great, right? It's a, it's a way to, to incentivize folks to take some action, but is it the best use of your dollars? How much impact can you say that you've made um, from that from that, from that that spend? And also one thing that we're doing is we're mapping out by the events that you spend on in that 4C model, are you spending most of your budget on culture events? Are you spending most of them on career-related events, community events? And that can be an indication too for those leaders to say, hey, maybe we need to find a balance in how we're spending our money here so that maybe you have less of the spend on cultural events and maybe you can see an increase in one of those other three pillars. That is a great way to use the 4C model there too, to understand how it's being spent. Mm -hmm. What are are some examples maybe of like, let's say like the career pillar in which someone could use their budget? Yeah, I think a good example of that would be maybe you have a skilled trainer or a certified person come in to give a workshop on, it could be anything that's technical. Maybe someone wants to come in and learn some tips on how to improve their front-end development, or if you want to have someone to come in and talk about leadership development, uh, anything in particular that helps people to learn, they could even sponsor, right? You could sponsor someone to go to a conference. You can sponsor someone to get a certification. You can purchase workbooks for someone. As an example, we have an accessibility ERG that is purchasing mental health workbooks on how to incorporate that into your daily work. That's a great example. Uh, of being able to leverage those funds in a way that really benefits members outside of just a social or a giveaway or a happy hour. That's so true. This has been so great. What, is there anything that you would want to leave listeners with? Mm -hmm. I would probably say to be empathetic and to realize that There are things happening around an ERG and the program itself that people are also dealing with. So try to be empathetic, to be strategic, to be creative and futuristic and think beyond just the now and think about what something will be like 500 or 100 or 1,000 employees larger from now. And is it going to be sustainable? Also think about ways that they can actually engage executive leaders in this process, as well as real champions and real sponsors and advisors, and to be able to tell a story after all this is said and done. Because if you can't tell the story, what did you actually do? Mm, Mic drop moment. Tell everyone how they can find you and also just anything else that's going on in your world. Yeah. So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I'm a chatty Kathy. And uh, you can go out there and follow me. Dan is the Kristen L. Bell. My name is Kristen Bell on LinkedIn. You can follow me there. Also, I'm the CEO and founder of CultureSite. And so CultureSite is an HRDI product that really makes it easy for employees to track their experiences at work and advocate for themselves. So you can learn more info about CultureSite at CultureSite.com. And I think that's pretty much it. Awesome. You all make sure to check that out. I will have links in the bio and we will see you all here next time.